Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hola, amigos. This is Ray Hudson from Being Sports and Sirius XMFC, and you are listening to Barça Talk. Today on Barça Talk, Valencia CF lost their manager and their La Liga match against FC Barcelona in the Camp Nou. We have a full match review, and we're looking ahead to the first Champions League clash with Borussia Dortmund this Tuesday on the road. And that got us to thinking, Barca's away form hasn't been great recently. Well, we crunched the numbers to figure out just how not great it's been. All right, welcome to Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson in Buffalo, New York, and joining me from Madrid is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. I'm back in Madrid, baby. Yeah, you are. You're back in Madrid. You're back in front of your nice, the nice, <laughs> nice microphone that we got for you over the summer. And it's, I'm, I really am enjoying how you're sounding right now. I know. I mean, when we recorded the Patreon episode on Thursday, you were, I knew you were going to be super excited about having me back in my studio with my fiber optic internet and my obviously new microphone. So I couldn't even remember what what you could sound like. <laughs> so I'm well, here I am coming at the frequencies that you love. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's going good, man. I got to tell you, I'm in so much. Well, I'm actually not in so much pain right now. We were talking a little bit before we started recording, but last few four or five days, I've just had a really bad gout flare up in my knee, which is a first I've never had it in my knee before. I've only ever had it in my ankles and, and my arms, but never in my knee. And man it is a, um, a nightmare. It sucks. Yeah, we were talking before, and I I could feel your pain. You yeah, know? I can. I I don't because there's really no kind of instant remedy for it. You know, I was telling you a little bit of ice, a little elevation. And we were kind of laughing. It's like, how do you elevate your knee? Yeah, it's kind of difficult. <laughs> right. I mean, I suppose I could if I could get into one of those um, inversion table things, mm-hmm. but but I don't have one of those. Obviously, what am I? What am I made of money? <laughs> Can't just get an inversion table. Can't do that. But yeah, it's weird. Like, um, I, my right knee is normal sized and my left knee is like the size of a melon and uh, I can't bend it hardly at all. And so this causes all kinds of other effects. Like I had a fever yesterday, but then also I've been getting like the sweats Yeah, and it's just everything. And like sleeping is a, a total nightmare. I can't sleep for more than a few hours. But last night, luckily, I was able, at least when I woke up, I was able to get back to sleep. Whereas two nights ago, I had I had to go sleep out on the couch because then I could sort of get my leg into a good sure. position. And man, and it made me think like, what has Luis Suarez been de- dealing <laughs> with with his knee? Is it anything even remotely close to this? Because if he was able to play with a bad knee towards the end of last season at all, I'm incredibly impressed. For sure. I mean, he has the table. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah but also, just, I, I wonder about like when players are playing with injury or pain, like what level of pain are they playing with? And they're still able. I mean, yeah, maybe they don't look so great and they're not as effective, but they're still out there for 90 minutes or 60 sure. minutes. And I'm like, what level of pain are they going through? Like, well, who, I mean, it, who are they that they can do this? Yeah, I mean, especially in, in football, you know, with knee pain and so forth, it's just especially like with Suarez, I imagine he's had that pain for a long time. So he's just been able to deal with that pain and he just manages it to, I feel much better this time or at the end of the season where it feels really worse and he needs to have surgery type of thing. So again, it's just pain management. And again, you know, you know, I don't know, if, especially in your, in your circumstance with gout and stuff, like maybe before in your ankles, you were able to manage that pain. So when it comes again, you know what to expect and how to deal with it, right? So um, that's kind of how it goes as well. But man, I, I totally, I mean, when I got back into working out again, a couple months ago, like getting into my new workout plan, man, those first couple of days I had to do burpees and so forth. I was like, are you kidding me right now? And I yeah. <laughs> just like so sore. And I'm like, man, I can't even deal with this. How do the players deal with that? You know, I don't mess so. with burpees, man. <laughs> I don't, I don't go there. I think, I think it's cause I, I have not such great joints. Sure. So late, like later life for me is going to be a real picnic. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get into some talk. On Tuesday, Champions League is going to begin. We got our first uh, group stage matches coming up. Uh, Barca will be going to Dortmund to face Borussia for the first time ever in the Champions League. Dortmund is coming off a really good start in Bundesliga. Three wins, one loss. And this past weekend was a 4 nothing win at home against Bayern Leverkusen. <laughs> Bayern Leverkusen. <laughs> uh, Paco Alcácer scored one, and their captain, Marco Raus, scored two. The fourth came from Rafael Guerrero. So just those three named. Who are the players to look out for from D- Dortmund, and, and what do you do about them? Well, let me first tell you that yesterday watching the matches was amazing because since all the Champions League teams were playing on Tuesday and Wednesday, it was like a super Saturday of matches. Like all the great play- teams were playing, so I was able to watch a bunch of the matches, and one of the matches I watched was this, Borussia Dortmund, and Brian, I'm scared. I'm scared of this team, yeah? Yeah. So you ask the players to look out for, you know, um, you know, for me, they're attacking trio of Sancho Rose and Paco, obviously. Uh, they have so much speed and attack from all over the park. Um, their speed is going to give us problems, especially if Semedo and Alba are caught up, you know, especially when they're attacking. And also PK and Longley are not the fastest when they're left alone on an island. Um, when I watched the game on Saturday, um, Borussia was able to attack from all points, not only crossing, but shooting from distance. But man, they're like sharks when they go after that ball and in the attacking zone. So that's going to give us a lot of problems because their speed to me is the difference maker. And that's, you know, with Paco and Rouse, their speed is going to be definite uh, game changers. Now, uh, Paco, since being in Borussia, has been on fire, 23 goals in 29 matches. And Marco Royce is playmaking and, you know, he's the captain for them. So that's going to be those. I think those are the two difference makers that we have to watch for, especially how shaky our defense is. Yeah, it really seems like Royal's not only the captain, but, an, you know, an experienced center mid. It seems like he is really just running, running the show there uh, really well. Yeah, he's the man for sure. I mean, you know, he he just oozes that captain type of aura about him and especially the way he just he's in the perfect role in that system you know in the four two three one he's in the center he's playmaking so again for me his pressure that he's going to give Busquets is going to be vital 
but also just like you said, the players for me, Marco Royce and Paco, that those two guys working in conjunction together. Yeah, yeah. And Borussia has had a good record at home, but their last match in the Champions League was a home loss to Tottenham back in the round of 16 last year. So they're certainly not untouchable at home, which is encouraging. Uh, they have been running this 4-2-3-1 in every game this season so far, and that's how they set up in all but four games last season. So it would be fair to assume that uh, Lucien Favre is going to play the uh, 4-2-3-1 again in this match. And what what problems does that present for our current 4-3-3? Sure, it's all going to be about the counterattacking. I mean, Brian, I don't know if you know this, but I love, love the 4-2-3-1, especially playing in it because of everyone has a clear defined role. Um, there's triangles all over the park, you know, you know, from defense to attacking and so forth. And also the spacing is really easy to cover. Um, they will rely heavy on pressing, you know, because they press really well together, especially the front three. And for me, it's going to be the counters. That's really where it's going to be the difference, especially in our formation, just because with Paco being at the point, hitting between PK and Longley, you know, and Rouse just hitting that playmaking ability using Sancho on the right. So for me, I think the biggest matchup is going to be Busquets versus Rouse, especially, you know, as we talked about in the previous episodes, Busquets is kind of on the downslide. And especially Andy talked about in the last episode about his downslide as well. You know, Busquets is not the fastest man and Royce is just playing at a top level right now. So that for me in the formation, that's going to be huge and vital for Barcelona to control that. Yeah, although the thing with Busquets is that he's never been particularly fast. Uh, He's always kind of been, uh, I mean, I've seen many YouTube cuts, YouTube edits (laughs) about the art of slow at Busquets' feet. You know, it's, it's more about his vision. Sure. And his positioning and his skill on the ball that have been his biggest assets. And those are all still things that he has. But there are those moments where he does need a burst of speed and those, you know, he has had that in the past and he's starting to lose that more and more. Sure. And also, you know, when he was playing with other midfielders who understood how to play with Busquets, he was able to cover those deficiencies on defense, you know, but now he's trying to figure that out with DeJong and Artur, Alenia, whoever else he's playing with. And now he's getting exposed a little bit more uh, where he's one-on-one. And so for me, if I were the Dortmund coach, I would point to this matchup and just try to exploit this as much as possible bring two or three attackers up the middle especially since we've seen that we are so bad on the counters lately right and well something else that that andy west brought up last week was given the situation with busquets um might he benefit from instead of being the sole pivot having someone alongside him working a double double pivot for sure for sure because you're only playing half the park now again that's why i love the four two three one you know with the two you essentially have six players on defense all the time, but they can also transition into attack. Now, DeJong and him would be a perfect tandem, you know, playing side by side because DeJong could cover the right, Busquets is the left, and you're not asking Busquets to cover side to side. And so that just, you know, puts him in a better situation. But we haven't seen a 4-2-3-1 ever no. under Valverde. It's usually just been a 4-4-2. And I'm interested to see if we do a 4-4-2, especially with our away form lately and playing against this really, really fast team. Right. Well, and that's the other thing that really that came up last week uh, with Andy. You know, uh, we had Andy West on the show last week reviewing Barca's first three La Liga matches and talking about a, a few specific players, including Busquets, uh, Griezmann, 
and I forget who else, but he was a really great guy to talk to. His insights and his perspective on the league were great to hear. So go back and listen to that episode to hear all of, of Andy's wisdom. But one thing that came up in relation to the recent draw against Osasuna was this question about Barcelona's away form. You know, we've discussed their away form more and more lately. There was, of course, the away loss to Liverpool and losing to Valencia on neutral ground in the Copa del Rey final last year. There was the away loss to Celta, albeit with a ragtag squad, sort of, and the away legs in the Copa del Rey where we lost to Levante and Sevilla. So those are some notable bad results on the road. But I uh, I got a little hair in my or a, a bee in my bonnet. And I wanted to do a little digging, and I wanted to see what Valverde's away record has been and compare it to Luis Enrique's. Just for comparison, what I found is that both of their loss percentages in away games were the same, 18%. But Enrique won a lot more on the road, 67% versus Valverde's 53%. So the real issue recently with Barca's away record has been drawing more. So what do we need to get that that one extra goal on the road to improve the away form? Sure. I mean, especially in the last two seasons, I think it's been lineup and energy. And I know that sounds really general, but at this level, our players are such world class. They just need to be energized that it's going to be away tough games. You know, every team now, it seems like in La Liga or Champions League are not afraid of us as they used to back in, let's say, 2011, 2012 with our, the best team, you know? Sure. And that's what's happening. We still have the aura of some of those players, like with Messi, Busquets, PK, those players that were on those teams. And so I think they still kind of have that. But I think with the lineup, especially the lineup that we had this past weekend against Valencia, I think the youthfulness and the proper midfield with that lineup will lead to a better start. You know, I think also we have to realize that these teams are gunning for us at the beginning. And we have allowed too many early away goals at the beginning to allow the crowd in. And that has really helped hurt us uh, trying to always come back. Right. And so we just have to be defensively sound and just think about these things. And again, for me, this game, I would love to see a 4-4-2 if we're going to be more defensive. Right. If we're going to go with that attitude. However, with this 4-3-3 lineup that we had against Valencia, I'm all for it. However, the spine has to be super solid and Alba and Semedo cannot be caught up where PK and Longley are defending so much large spaces behind them. Yeah, and the issue of energy is an interesting one because every game that Barcelona plays, it seems like we're the favorites, even now, even today. And it has been that way for many years. I mean, sure, there are those cases where, you know, you're going up against Real Madrid. You know, in a Clasico, anything can happen, right? Um, against Liverpool, right? Anything could have happened they were a fierce side and any and anything did but but in general just about every match we go into barca is the favorite and over time it seemed well i think this is where management does come into play a lot because if you look at someone like pep you know when you lose he builds you up when you win he tells you how you could have done better he doesn't pat you on the back when you win, but he actually comforts you when you lose. When you go on the road, he gets you fired up. He 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 makes you believe that you're the underdog to give you that extra energy, particularly on the road. Uh, and I only know that's only based on that uh, documentary series of uh, one season of him at Man City. But I assume that's what he was like at Barcelona. I mean, he 
I've seen multiple interviews where he's constantly talking about, you know, methods of motivation. I do think that there is sometimes a lack of energy. They never seem to come out feeling like not nervous, but, you know, just feeling like we have to go after this. They're they're almost too cool. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, you know, I'm a huge Golden State Warriors fan. And, you know, the last couple of seasons, the beginning of the season has been very difficult for them because it's always difficult to repeat because everyone is gunning for you in the same way that everyone is gunning for FC Barcelona. And like you said, that's why squad rotation is so important because, you know, imagine, you know, if you inject some youthfulness in a match, let's say if we were playing Osasuna in November or in February, and that player might be up for it and that energy will spread through the team. But if you have the same starting 11 going through the motions and away form, it's just human nature. They can't play. They cannot be up for every match. It's just, it's impossible. You're not up for every day at work. You're just not. So to, to ask that of these players is impossible. So that's why squad rotation is important. Now, if we take a look at the Osasuna match, for example, imagine if Fatih started that match. Does all of a sudden the energy level go up because he's starting? I imagine so. And also, he's going to be more dangerous from the get-go. Osasuna has to adjust. But again, going through the same 11 of the mundaneness, you know, it's just perfectly natural that's going to happen. That's why it's really important, you know, especially in this away match that everyone is aware of Valverde. And good job on the research there of finding his statistics there. Because I didn't know that. Because I was kind of having the same feeling. Like Luis Enrique, too, that was one of my pet peeves about him. Away was not as good, you know. And as you as you researched it, it's true that the loss percentage was equal. But also Luis Enrique won more. So that was the other thing. So, I'm interested to see what the lineup is we do, the formation, and also just how we start. Because, again, this is a very tough place to play. Borussia has no fear. And when you have speed, Brian, man, you're, you're just you're super dangerous. Yeah. If you don't recruit speed, you're going to be chasing it. Standard <laughs> recruitment, like any sport. Any sport that involves Correct. running. <laughs> Correct. That's Correct. always the way. Exactly. And I just, you know, I can definitely, you know... Part of me can see just from this past weekend the momentum that we can definitely get the points and do really well. But also another part of me can see us starting really slow and becoming an avalanche of a game for them. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, take a minute to rate the show. And if you have an extra minute, leave a review. No matter how you listen, though, remember to subscribe or follow the show so you can always stay up to date with new episodes. All right, so let's get into La Liga. This was match day four, of course. Valencia came to the Camp Nou, and it was a 5-2 win. As of Sunday morning, when we're recording this, Barca is fifth on the table with seven points, but Osasuna haven't played yet, and they actually could overtake Barca in the table with a win against Valladolid. So, you know, obviously not a great start to the league. I I do have faith that we're going to be ascending in the table as the year progresses, but you know, we've seen the, the mixed results that we've got. But this particular result was overall pretty good and some really good key stats aside from the scoreline. 64.6% possession, 17 shots with 10 on target, and a 91.8% pass accuracy. So we got good scoreline and we also have good other other key stats. First talking point on this match, of course, I has to be Ansu Fati, right? He had one goal and one assist. Who? I'm just kidding. Yeah, he's this kid. He's just, he's. I think he just got his driver's license. Yeah, I mean, you know, yes, he he was amazing, right? Because he scored in two minutes, right? And and 
Brian Twitter blew up. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just it's like a bomb, right? A bomb. It must be uh, super dangerous to work at Twitter HQ. Just <laughs> constant explosions. Yeah, yeah. Especially around sports, right? I mean, this was one of those moments where I mean, it just blew up, and obviously, what can you say? I mean. My my biggest takeaway for this, yes, Fatih had a, a great performance and so forth. But for me, the bigger picture is it's amazing to have a real forward playing a left wing position in a 4-3-3. Right. Because up until this, I mean, he's he's come on. But up until this game, more often than not, we had Rafinha. Uh-huh. And last season we had Coutinho. Right. Who I would consider more of midfield than a striker. Yeah, exactly. Than a forward, you know? So let me ask you this, Brian. Do you know what forwards love? Uh, shooting. Goals. Goals. They love goals. They right? love when goals. I played, when I played forward, I loved goals. That's the one thing that you're aiming for. That is your main goal. That is how you track if you're a good forward or not, right? And, man, for me, the biggest difference with seeing Fati going on there is a couple things. Taking the ball to the end line, using moves, putting the defender on his heels, and also looking for the other forwards is one thing taking shots from the corner of the box, which is another thing. And also what he did on the first goal, Brian, that is just instinctual forward thinking in that Dijon is on one side, he cuts in to anticipate the center pass and the defender did not follow him. And he just hit it one time for the easy goal, for the not easy goal, but for the clinical goal. And obviously Twitter went, Twitter went off with that. But yeah, for me, the bigger picture is just, it's amazing what happens when you have a real forward playing in a 4-3-3. Yeah, and he's definitely a real forward because his finish on that was clinical, like you said. And I when I saw the replay and I'm watching it, I was just thinking, you know, I can think of four or five guys who in that same exact situation would have skied it. Exactly. Exactly. You know, but let me ask you this. What was the last? Right? Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. And the other thing, too, what I was thinking about that play is, did you ever see Coutinho run to the middle like that? No, that just wasn't his he, bag, man. Just, exactly. It just wasn't his bag, right? And that is the thing is because, you know, it's one of the things that I remember, I don't know what documentary is when I saw about FC Barcelona and the 4-3-3 system, is that they said they had, you know, specific spacing that they had to do, right? They had to keep the balance on the width. But as soon as they crossed the penalty box extended, they were... It was completely improvised. They had to try to score and so forth. And Fati just fits that to a mold. Like he's out there holding his space, waiting for the passing to come to him. But as soon as he hits that penalty box extended, he is dive bombing and he is attacking. I mean, how many times did he have the ball and the poor defender, which is didn't know if he was going to go left or right. But that's the amazing thing, because since he went left before, that opens it up. Since he went right before, that opens it up as well. So again, for me, the biggest picture and the biggest takeaway is we haven't had a forward play there since before Neymar, basically. Right. Since Neymar, essentially. A real forward playing in the 4-3-3 system on the left side. Yeah. A lot of people were saying, particularly you were mentioning on Twitter, a lot of people were saying that, you know, the the, the second coming is here and we... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The, the sky split open and... Sure. And he's he's a really exciting young player to have. Only 16 years old. The thing that that really impresses me about him is how mature he looks out there as a 16 year old amongst such veteran players. He looks so comfortable and mature. He's not phased. He's not afraid. He's, and he's very cool on the ball. Like so there was this one particular drive where he just dribbled his way all the way into the box and it didn't, you know, we didn't get a goal out of it, but there was just something about his maturity on that play that I, 
that I found impressive. And then other things will continue to get added to his game, you know, uh, more tactical, strategic things about opening up space for other players and, and things of that nature. But I, I mean, I think I'm, I'm not sure that uh, we need to be handing out any awards just yet, but it is it's really exciting to see him right now. Sure, for sure. And the other thing, too, is, you know, it's just the it's the idea, Brian, of, you know, he's had experience in this system. So he's practiced it. He's had experience in it. And then it's just a perfect simulation to the game. Right. It's not that he learned a four two four four two. And then I was learning a four three three in one week. And all of a sudden, wow, it's. It's just a perfect execution of his education at La Masia and just going through the, you know, practice and then the game. And they're just putting him in a situation for him to succeed. So, again, I, you know, it's just one of those things where it's such a light bulb moment because if Valverde would have just recognized this last year, who knows if we could have been more potent in our attack and we wouldn't have to rely so much on our defense in those tight matches, especially last season. Right. Well, you mentioned how he's a real forward and, and what you, you know, what you mean by that is something fairly specific. But on the other side of this same exact lineup, uh, we've got Carlos Perez, who often kept kind of reminding me of Coutinho. He did have a couple of runs where he went to the end line, but he was, he was very cautious and he was more often than not. And this is a guy who's much, much older than Fati. Mm-hmm. He's been playing on Barca B for a while now and he's getting more first team time, which is great. Um, but also he, he, he would tend to just pass it back and try to not take many risks. He didn't really take on any defenders uh, more often than not. Compare that with Fati on the left, so much more you know, dynamic and kind of cutthroat. Perez seems to be a little bit more probing, you know, careful at least. That's a, that's a whole world of difference. For sure. And he's, you know, he's between a rock and a hard place because he's at a moment where he's playing a lot right now. But he doesn't want to screw it up. And you can tell, right? So he's being really conservative because he doesn't want to make mistakes. It's kind of, would you rather have him be conservative and not really, you know, lose the ball and be kind of ineffective? Or would you rather him be trying those one-on-ones all day long, but losing the ball and not doing anything? So that's kind of the yin and the yang of, of that position, right? So I can see where he doesn't want to do too much. But also, like you said, like we were talking before, he needs to push that end line like Fatih is doing on the other side because that's just going to open up more options. Now, to me, he will get there. I just think he's still trying to figure this out, right? And for me, he's still looking for his shot. So I like that. And I would rather have him there than, for for example, Sergio Roberto because I think that Perez ultimately is looking for his shot and looking to score rather than Sergio Roberto would. Sure, sure. Yeah, Sergio Roberto is stronger in the midfield uh, sure. Or or even at right back, but yeah, he's not he is not a real forward in the sure. in the way that you mean. Even though he has played in that position in the past, but as far as losing the ball goes, Ansufati lost the ball a lot. I heard them say right. on the broadcast I was watching at one point it was something like seventeen times he'd given up yeah. the ball, but they were all in those really advanced positions where he's driving on a defender. They're in the final third and he's trying to beat them, and he gave it up. And one, you can forgive it because of his youth, but two, you can forgive it because the ball is so advanced. It didn't necessarily create a threatening counterattack situation. It, it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't a net, a net negative. So I would be perfectly happy to have Perez trying more in those advanced uh, places on the field and be willing to to give up the ball. 
because it probably won't hurt us that much anyway. Exactly. And that's the thing is that, you know, we had enough possession in this match. So Valencia was only relying on the counter. But like you said, I would rather have this, especially when you are in the penalty box, you know, because that means that you are actually trying for goal. And Fatih was trying that. And if, like you said, if Perez does it on the other side, that opens it up for who in the middle? Griezmann, Griezmann. right? See, there you go. There you go. So, again, all these things are leading to a balanced attack. Our right side the last three years has been our weakest part. Our left side has always been the strongest in the middle through Suarez and the left side because with Alba. The right side has to pick up that slack. When Dembele is playing the right side, we are threatening. We are going on both ends and so forth. But, you know, when Dembele is not playing there, there's a lack of attacking from the right side. There just is. And so with Perez, like you said, he needs to go to that end line a little bit more. And like you said, if he's in that penalty box, I would rather him take those chances and lose the ball there because that's where it's happening, right? It's Like you said, it's not in midfield when he has a back to goal and he loses the ball there. That's not happening. It's only inside the box. Right. Now, over the last couple of years, if if nothing else, what we have seen under Valverde is a strong, what we call the battery. And that's your central sort of defensive spine, goalkeeper, center backs, and center mid. Um, but so far this year, the battery has been uh, fairly weak. We haven't had a single shutout yet, for for example. Yeah, it's been really weak. And, you know, I think it's it's kind of it, it stems from two things, I believe. I believe it comes from our, our left and right back being caught up too many times on attack. And the other thing, too, is just Busquets having too much space to roam, you know, in conjunction with the other midfielders. Uh, like we were talking about earlier in the Champions League discussion, you know, prior to that, he was able to work in conjunction with the other midfielders and those midfielders wouldn't get caught up either. So it was kind of a full force going back. But now, you know, uh, Busquets is being asked to do a lot defensively and he just can't go side to side as well as he used to. And so that's being exposed. And especially like in this, the first goal by Gaimero, it's like a bang, bang play that happened. And like I tweeted, I was like, they've never seen give and go passing before it seemed. <laughs> and all of a sudden they were just caught off and they just scored. And it was just... Like, those are really sound things that shouldn't happen at this level. You know, they need to play tighter. They need to anticipate those things. Always be strong up the middle so that they have to go around you because that's always going to be a tougher shot. But again, like we talked about last season. Remember last season, we were so impressed with the battery, having a lot of shutouts, playing really defensively well, especially when they were winning 3 nothing. for example. They wouldn't give up an easy goal. But now, you know, we have one of the worst defensive records this season. Yeah, we've conceded seven goals so far, and only Real Betis and Villarreal have conceded more than Barca at this point. So we're the third worst. Exactly. We're the top lead goal scorers, right, in the league, but we're also the top conceders. Yeah, well, amongst the top. Either chart, we're in there. <laughs> Which isn't really where you want to be. You want to be at the top of one and the bottom of the other. Correct. Ideally. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Again, like we talked about in the Champions discussion, this is always going to go all season long. If Busquets does not get rest, and especially like when in this game where he did not get subbed off for whatever reason, I don't understand. We need to utilize Vidal's tenaciousness, especially in second half matches, because that's going to preserve our defensive sound principles. Because Busquets is just not allowed to do that anymore. It's just a fact. I mean, we have to face that. And Valverde continues to roll him out for the full 90. And I don't understand that because as we talk about again and again, it's about rotation, 
preservation because that's going to give us success in the in the Champions League campaign and La Liga campaign in February, March, April. Right, exactly. And so like in, like in the 70th minute, Rakitic came on taking Frankie de Jong off. Meanwhile, Busquets is on for the entire 90. And it was right at that moment that I thought, why not leave de Jong on and put Rakitic in for Busquets? Move de Jong to the center, Rakitic could be on the right, leave Arthur on the left. It's a quandary. It is a quandary. It's a bit of a quandary. <laughs> it's a super quandary because he made two midfield substitutions and both I was okay with. You know, I was saying Rakitic come in, great. But then take Busquets out. And then when I saw Vidal and I was like, perfect, he's going to take Busquets out. No, he took Artur out. And again, why can't Artur finish the 90? This is the perfect match. This is the perfect match to extend him to the 90 because we were already winning five to one at that point. Right, exactly. Like, there's no And Artur is going to be smart enough, like, to not overexhaust himself on certain plays. He's just going to possess the ball and basically run out the clock. Yeah, and not to mention, Arthur has not played that many minutes this season to begin with. Correct. He definitely has 90 minutes in him. Correct, and that's the thing. You know, I can understand maybe because of Tuesday's match, but at the same time, this match, especially in the second half, was not a taxing match for them because not only did we have possession, but Valencia did not press as much as I thought they would. Obviously, under Marcelino, I think it would have been a much tougher match but since of this transition with their new coach, they're still trying to figure the, what the coach wants. And also they kind of threw in the towel, especially after the three to one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, the uh, the turmoil at Valencia, I think, definitely helped us in this game. Sure. Losing Marcelino and, you know, suddenly the appointment of Celades, uh, you know, they still have great players and they, they actually did play pretty well. You know, that kind of turmoil will will mess up your camp for sure. And I think you're right. They would have been pressing more had Marcelino still been there. My friend Luis uh, texted me during the match and he said, Peter Lim is a Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mixed blessing, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> In a moment, we'll continue the Valencia match review, talking about Griezmann and the midfield trio. Become a patron of Barca Talk to get an enhanced listening experience. Double the weekly episodes, no calls to action like this one, and no commercials, plus bonus content, all for $5 a month. Find a link in the notes for this episode or go to the support page at barsatalk.net to sign up for the patron experience. Well, let's talk about Griezmann here because we we got five goals in this game. None of them were credited to him, but uh, he did overall, I thought, had, had a good performance. Yeah, I definitely thought he had a great performance. He, he has a thankless job right now, you know, because he is the point man. He has to occupy those two center backs, which he did phenomenally. And again, like we talked about in our match review uh, for this match, we were debating whether Suarez was going to get the start. And I told you, if he starts, the pressure when we don't have the ball is not going to be as good as if Griezmann was playing. And I was right. Griezmann has that Atletico DNA workman rate. And man, he was... That first half, he was all over the park. I mean, I was specifically watching for him. And I felt bad because all he wanted was a goal. Yeah. Just give the man a goal. Yeah. You know, he was trying, he was trying so hard. And I mean, you can't, I mean, especially in the one on one against Sillison, he also had an assist for Luis Suarez, basically. But again, he, for me, when he's up there in the point, yes, he is dangerous because he comes to receive the ball and he's a better passer than Mr. Hamfoot. Mm -hmm. But the other thing, too, is that he, is going to shoot from outside of the box, but also what he gives us, what Suarez doesn't give us time and time and up now in his in his stage of his career, is a defensive pressure when he's backtracking and trying to get the ball. Yeah. And did you notice, though, that Suarez didn't have any ham foots in this? When he did come on for the 30 minutes that he did play, no ham foots. 
It reminded me when he came into the game. He wasn't expected to do much, right? He's just kind of work out the cobwebs type of thing. And he took out the first two shots and got goals, basically. But he wasn't asked to have his back to goal. And also, again, he wasn't asked to pass out of that front. So, again, no ham put, put, uh, passing from him, especially what he came in the last 10 minutes or the last 15 of the game. So Yeah, uh, he came in. No, the 30. 30? Oh, wow. Yeah, he so, came on for Fati in the 60th minute. So he definitely had more opportunities for hand foot passing. He did not do it. So we thought he was going to have over five bad passes and he had zeros and we would have lost a ton of money. Yeah. So, well, I don't think I was going to put too much money on it. But, <laughs> but yeah, but Griezmann also, you know, uh, PK's goal uh, could be credited in a way to Griezmann because that was his shot. It just came, for sure. came off the, uh, well, Sillison got a hand to it and then it came off the post and PK put it away a second time. But that was definitely his shot. I felt like Griezmann was part of Fatih's goal in that he was occupying those center backs and creating space behind him for Fatih to come in and take the shot. Yep. And then, yep. of course, he did assist Suarez with his uh, second goal. For sure. I mean, he'll get his goals. You know, he will because he's a world-class player. Um, I just felt bad because it was like a goal fest and you want to be involved. You know, you could just tell. And uh, But again, like you said, like on that first goal, he was able to drag and take out those defenders and leave that open for Fatih, that space. So, again... To me, you know, it's it's a thankless job because you're only going to look at the status goals. But when you watch the match, he had a really great performance just because of the defensive pressure, man. He was there pushing, pressing, and we got the ball. I mean, how many times did Valencia turn around and try to pass out of that and we got the ball immediately? And that was because Griezmann was pressing those center backs or the, the midfield. Yeah, yeah. Now, speaking of the midfield, the the trio that started this, Busquets, De Jong, and Arthur, is this our best trio? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, I th- yeah. I mean, I definitely think Dijon and Artur are playing there, but I would say I would much prefer having Dijon, Artur, Rakitic and put Dijon in the middle just because Dijon can cover that side to side better. And I know you lose a little something with Rakitic with the speed aspect, but at least it's just that one space. It's on the one side of the park in the middle. You can play make too much too easy, right? You have left and right options, but if you're on one side, you only have one option to come in. So I think it's easier to defend when you have Rakitic on that side. So I'm just glad though, Brian, that Artur got the start because you can see, man, he is he is something, man. I love I, I even tweeted this. His possession game just gets me goosebumps because that is so hard to do at any level, let alone at this level. The way he's able to shield take around i mean it's really hard not to see javi in him it really yeah. is really hard to, to see that you know especially i remember one play uh i think it was parejo that was on top of him who's basically one meter taller than him essentially <laughs> right and he could not get the ball away from Artur. and i was just like oh my god that is the ball just sticks to him and when he's in there our passing game is just at a better tempo as someone put on Twitter, he's just the metronome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which you, I knew you would love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> TikTok. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good metaphor. <laughs> yeah. No, but if you ask the best trio, I'm I'm satisfied with this trio because it does put Artur in there. That helps with our passing, like I said. And DeJong is on there, who's also with his speed and youthfulness. Now, Busquets, if you take him out in the 70th minute, I'm okay. But I just think DeJong in the center is going to ultimately be the best uh, situation for him. Yeah. And this, of course, assumes a 4-3-3. But mm. I, given how many midfielders we have right now, all of them good. All of them, yeah, yeah. you know, great in their own ways. I mean, it, it does make a stronger case for something like a, the 4-2-3-1 that you've been 
calling for for how many years? Five. <laughs> at least the two that we've been doing this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah been, for sure. At least occasionally, just try yeah. it. You know. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, in a four-two-three-one, I mean, your your line of three can, you know, you've got like maybe a winger, but also a, a, a sort of a midfielder, and then of course you got your point man up top. So it's it's part forwards and it could be part midfielders. It sort of depends on how you want, you want to run it. But I just think that something like that could actually create more opportunities to use all of our many, many midfielders. Yeah. The only thing in the four, two, three, one, our tour wouldn't, would be left off mm. because he just wouldn't be able to do that. Because again, like I said, the four, two, three, one would be amazing with Dijon and Busquets as a double pivot and Messi as the playmaking of the center. Oh my God, that would be, that would be the dream of dreams because then you have Griezmann in front of him. You got Fati on the left, and then you can put me or you on the right. You know, you could put anyone on the right just to occupy that space. Obviously, you would put Perez right now to occupy that space, and then you bring in Suarez to cover for Griezmann. Let's say with twenty minutes left in the game, oh, oh mama, that is <laughs> that is a dream come true for me. But again, like you were saying, we have so much midfield. Another option could be a four four two where you have Dijon, Rakitic, Artur, and Busquets in there. Sure. Yeah. And they kind of and then Busquets is kind of behind those and then you have three across type of thing. Yeah. So you have many options with those. Many, many options. Many options. What do you think? Do you think this is our best trio? No, I think I'm I want to side with you on this. Um I mean it's it's hard to uh it's hard to take Busquets out, even in yeah. in theory. I mean, we have talked about sort of where it seems like he's at in his career. He's still he's still amazing in so many ways, and he is such a a legacy kind sure. of legend of the the squad it's it's hard to uh, not give him the start yeah. in a theoretical lineup yeah 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 but i i get what you're saying about you know de young coming up the middle but and that's the whole reason that they got de young right was Correct. to succeed Correct. busquets so uh, is that transition going to be complete at the end of this year is it going to go into next year we don't know yeah. It could. It, it could happen sooner rather than later, but I think a lot of that will depend on on how Busquets' season goes. Because I think there is something to be said for a kind of loyalty to him and a kind of deference to him. It's hard to be super cutthroat. Like uh, when Robbie Dunn and I were talking, he brought this up. It's not quite as ruthless as it is in, say, a lot of American sports now, mm. where the, in Europe there's still this sense of, like, you have, you know... You've done so yeah. much for the club. We know how good you are, and you've done so much for the club. We're going to stick with you that much longer. You still encounter that in Europe um, yeah. in, in ways that you don't necessarily in uh, NFL football or NBA basketball and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to deny Busquets his spot sure. because it's been his spot for, for so long. But I get what you're saying. I mean, the thing I want to see especially this season, because I love watching Dijon play. I mean, he is smooth and you can just see the talent that he has. I just want to see, you know, like we talk about preservation, right? Just put Dijon in there for the last 20 minutes because he's going to gain more. We're still going to be defensively sound. You know, we don't lose anything by subbing Busquets and putting Dijon out there. Not at all. We do not lose any, not at all. If anything, we gain, right? You know, we gain the speed and 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 defensive uh, coverage and so so for me that's what i want to see i just want to see as i always talk about smart rotation looking ahead for the season that's all i want yeah and i'm all about maximizing gains yeah you know <laughs> yeah, yeah when i'm when i'm stacking plate <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm looking forward to uh well i'm looking i'm thinking about tuesday's match in uh, in dortmund 
And yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see what uh, what kind of lineup we get. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the champions because you know I love the hymn, and also just it's it's just bringing back I, Brian. There's just something about European football here at nighttime. It just has another level because the game here is 9 p.m. local time. Everyone goes to the bar, like I always say, and it just has like a, it has that kind of Monday night feel to it. You know, like in NFL football, where it's just everyone's watching those matches. So those, the, you know, man, I love Champions League. It doesn't matter that it's still just early group stages. The hymn, the moment, the nighttime. I just love it. Yeah, yeah. And then next weekend, uh, La Liga will continue against Granada, and this will be on the road. Yeah, so this will be an interesting matchup because Granada just got uh, promoted. And, you know, again, this will be a perfect opportunity to maybe use some of that rotation, especially since we just played midweek. Yeah, and Granada just beat Celta. Ooh. This weekend. So, you know, they're, yeah. they're doing all right. They've got promoted. They've got a win. As they say here, I Liga. I Liga, yeah. And there, Barca's there on the Liga. road. And we've looked at their away record now. So <laughs> a lot of, lot of open questions. We'll get some answers this week, and we'll be back next week with more. Barca Talk is a production of Sound It Media, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, editing and post-production by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Two Point Go. Until next time, Pisca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network. Every day... We rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.